Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Today, we are continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of John, and we'll be looking at the text in John 7, verses 1 through 52, and the various conflicts Jesus had encountered with the crowds. In this sermon, Renus will take us through the various responses that people have to his teachings. We see that the religious leaders aggressively reject his teaching, whereas the response of the crowd is all over the place. Yet in the midst of this, Jesus still offers a wide-open invitation for anyone to come, wherever you may be, to him, the one who is the living water. a difficult transition to go from that to this, but uh, if you would be so kind as to sort of kind of let's go from that to this. Uh, but to keep with a little bit of, a, and by no means making light of anything, keep with a little bit of the medical thing, this is literally where I was going to start. I wanted to talk to you about whiplash, which is not what happened here. But um, I, So I was thinking about whiplash this week which is a weird thing to be thinking about. Some of you have had whiplash. You, uh, you know what that's like. Uh, from my understanding, uh, whiplash is sort of your head is moving or you're moving in a forward direction and you come to an abrupt halt and your neck is snapped back. Um, all those medical people will be appalled at that definition, but there it is. That's as best as I can understand. It's this sudden reverse of direction and it snaps your neck back and you do damage in your in your neck, and you, I don't know. I, clearly, I'm not medical. <laughs> they should come up here and talk. But um, the reason I'm talking about it, or wanted to talk about it this morning briefly, is because John chapter 7, which we'll look at briefly here, is the New Testament version of whiplash. Okay, and I want to just give you a fair warning. Uh, you're going to get a series of short stories, uh, and people respond to Jesus in those stories, and their responses are all over the place. They are widely and wildly opposite from each other. And it feels a bit like whiplash. They're going to go, we believe in Jesus. And you're like, yeah, and no, we don't, whoa. And you're just going to get... So, fair warning, here's the slide. Um, it's a sermon safety guide. I invite you to sit up, adjust your seat, put on your seatbelt... Um, and, and I appreciate uh, the last little corner there if you're, uh, it looks like a roller coaster and it says talk to a healthcare provider before riding roller coasters. Uh, you might want to talk to a healthcare provider before listening to this sermon. Uh, but you've been given fair warning, okay? This sermon will, uh, you're going to be all over the place because people's responses to Jesus are all over the place. Uh, let me just read part of the story. John chapter 7. That's where we are. We're working our way slowly. Uh, this is um, our third year taking journeys into John. So we're working our way slowly. We're in chapter 7. I'll read the first few verses. Hear God's word. After this, Jesus, so after this, remember he's in Galilee. He's performed the, um, we looked at the story, the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. He's walked on water. He's done some pretty cool things. Um, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Hey, why don't you leave Galilee and go to Judea? 
so that your disciples may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself. Come on, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to the festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he'd said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, however, after his brothers had left for the festival, he also went, but not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about Jesus. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, 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 no. He deceives people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. This is the word of the Lord. All right, strap in, right? Got your seatbelt on, you're sitting upright, you've consulted a physician, we're going to go into this text. Um, there are, I'm going to say, largely two buckets of responses to Jesus here, but there's lots of nuance in those buckets, we'll get to it. The first set of responses is from the leaders, uh, the religious leaders. Now, at this point in the story, Jesus has already made them mad, okay? He's cleared the temple in John's gospel. He's healed on the Sabbath. He's stepped on their pious toes. They're upset, and they're looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. So you'll see this in verse 1. Jesus didn't want to go to Judea because he knew the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. Uh, later on in the story... Uh, the text is pretty clear that they want to arrest him, presumably to maybe kill him, but, um, but they'll settle for an arrest, right? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, heard the crowd whispering, and then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him in verse 32. Now, those are pretty, um, well, a couple things about those responses. First of all, it'd be worth noting that these are the responses of the religious people, Right? The fine, upstanding religious types. They want to arrest and kill Jesus. Now, there are people in our culture, broadly, that I disagree with. But I don't usually feel like killing them. And it's not within my power to arrest them. This is pretty extreme response um, that you're getting from these guys. And, um, and it's hard to relate to, because while we might get upset and mad and say things, or maybe I say things, hypothetically, about people. Uh, I, I don't, like I say, imagine killing them. However, their response is a little bit more nuanced in verse 48. After they send the guards, and the guards uh, make some attempt at arresting him, but don't, they come back, and uh, they have this little interchange with the Pharisees, and they said, why didn't you bring him in? And the guards replied, well, no one ever spoke the way this man does, and then in verse 47, you mean he's deceived you as well? The Pharisees retorted, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob knows nothing of the law. There's a curse on them. They're not very kind to their congregation. But the point here is that what's underlying this message of 
arrest and wanting to kill is an outright rejection of Jesus. Right? Have any of us believed in him? No, we have not. We don't like him. We don't like what he teaches. We don't agree with him. He offends us. He steps on our toes. We want to get rid of him. And that, perhaps, is a posture we can relate to. Now, you know, you're sitting in this room. You probably don't live in that space. Um, But you maybe have been in that space where you don't want anything to do with Jesus. And certainly you have family members and friends that want nothing to do with Jesus. They've just, we don't want him, we don't like him, we're not interested in his teaching, it's irrelevant to us, it's offensive to us, he steps on toes, he doesn't say the right things, he doesn't do the right things, let's get rid of him. Right? Can you see that posture broadly among people you know and perhaps at different points in your life, maybe yourself? Okay, That's one sort of bucket of responses to Jesus in the story. Uh, the second bucket is, is uh, quite a lot more um, diverse because there's sort of a, a grouping here, right? To kill, arrest, to reject. It's kind of let's get rid of them. We don't want anything to do with this person. The second bucket uh, is, is really all over the place, and it begins actually at the beginning of chapter 4 where his um, brothers, uh, I, I think there's lots of sarcasm. You've got to read this with sarcasm and, and, and scorn almost. Um, you know, why don't you go to Galilee and show yourself if you're such a great guy? Um, it's got that kind of like they just really are not with him. And it's pretty clear in verse 5, even his own brothers did not believe in him. Right? So his brothers, those he grew up with, would be tough having Jesus as a brother, to be honest. Right? His room would always be the cleanest. He'd always do the dishes first. Like, it just would be tough. So his brothers are really not liking uh, him, and they certainly don't believe in some of his, his claims at this point in the story. That changes, um, actually by the end. But then if you look at the crowds, and we'll put this slide up, Jesus eventually travels to Jerusalem, and the responses here are really, like I'll just walk you through the, you'll see why I say whiplash warning. Um, some in the crowd, in verse 12, when he gets to Jerusalem, um, say he's a good man. Others say he deceives people. Now, if you deceive someone, you're not a good man, okay? Let's just say that. <laughs> and if you're a good man, you're not going to deceive someone. So these are uh, like, you're like, good man? Well, deceive someone, right? You see that? But it gets even more pronounced in verse 15. Some in the crowd are amazed by Jesus and what he does. They, the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning? Wow, like he's so amazing, so insightful, so full of wisdom. And in verse 20, some are going, no, he's demon-possessed. They're like, like amazed, demon-possessed, okay? You're just, it's all over the place. By verse 30, some of them want to get rid of him, even though some in verse 31 claim to believe in him. Okay, so they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. Now, it's not entirely clear within the story that their belief was firmly rooted. It might have been, it might not have been. Um, 
Certainly their belief is tenuous because some of these people still turn on Jesus and yell crucify some time later. But there's tentative belief and there's outright rejections going on within the crowd. Uh, Verse 35, I love this. Uh, The Jews said to one another, uh, like after Jesus' teaching, uh, he's telling them he's going away for a short time and they say, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Uh, will he go to where our people live scattered among the Greeks or teach the Greeks? What did he mean? And they're clearly confused, obviously, by their responses at this point in the story. They're all over the place. They are confused. Some then in verse 40 say that he's a prophet. Uh, the, the prophet in, in this context is somebody who comes in the likeness of Moses is what's in, embedded in that phrase. Um, And so they might have been thinking about the feeding of the 5,000 where bread comes from heaven and it has kind of this exodus feel. And they're thinking maybe this is the one who's like a prophet like Moses. And then they go on to say, no, 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 he's the Messiah, this, this one they've been waiting for who will take on the Romans and get rid of the oppression. And others are saying, no, no, he's not the Messiah. Right? Do you see how like jarring the responses are The crowd is all over the place. Verse 42, uh, verse, excuse me, verse 43 of John chapter 7 is a great summary text. Um, This is good, um, almost humor by John, I think. Verse 43 reads, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. I'm like, oh yeah, were they divided. Do you see that? They're just all over the place. Now, Again, try and, can you place yourself in any of this? And again, you're sitting in this room. You, many of you come to this church with frequency. Uh, you're part of this community. And you'll say, well, I believe. Uh, that's where I live. And yeah, absolutely. I do too. I've believed most of my life that Jesus is who he says he is. Um, but I don't always live in that place. Like intellectually, I believe. I really do. But sometimes I'm actually super confused about Jesus. Um, I mean, this went out on the prayer chain. I think uh, those of you get that, so it's, you know, semi-public in our community that um, our, my friend and your friends, like uh, uh, Corey and Brenda, their little girl, Holly, has been in the hospital this week. She's quite sick. They don't know why she's sick. She's, uh, she's struggling quite a bit. I, I've sat with Corey a few times. I've prayed with him. I've listened, like he's worried as you might expect. Jackson and I drive past the children's hospital every morning on the way to school, and we go, oh yeah, Holly's in there, and we pray for Holly. But she's still sick. She's still struggling. And I'm still confused, if I'm honest. And I bet you, uh, bet you Corey and Brenda are confused. Jesus, why aren't you showing up for this little girl who's struggling? Right? So sometimes we live in that space. And I can understand why the people might be confused with what Jesus says and what he does. Because he doesn't always say what I want him to say. He doesn't always do what I want him to do, if I'm honest. I think Jesus is generally a good person. But sometimes I'm like, uh, what are you asking me to do here? This is really hard. You know, like Susan's comment about Jesus descends. 
And that's the journey we're invited into. Take on the same, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 says. And then goes on to describe how Jesus kind of is downward mobility from heaven at the right hand of God into a human form, into the form of a slave to the cross. And that's the journey we take. And I'm like, that sounds mad to me. Why would you ask that? That is the opposite direction the culture is going. And I think to myself, I wouldn't say Jesus ever would say that he's demon-possessed, but I think that doesn't sound right to me. That sounds a little like, you know, one brick shy of a load, as the saying goes. It sounds crazy at some point, some of his teaching. Or how about, you know, pray for those who persecute you, those who are unkind to you, those who are against you. You pray for them. And you're like, what? That's, what? I don't do that. I want to be angry at them, not pray for them. And the teaching even extends to forgiving them. Right? Do you see how, like, like you... I intellectually, I truly believe Jesus and who he is. But sometimes I find myself in these other spaces, too, where I'm amazed by who he is and by what he does, and then I think, I'm not sure what you're saying here. I'm not sure I can trust that to be good, if I'm honest. And I think probably you can land yourself there as well. So, yes, we believe, but we don't always believe easily. And our responses match the responses of the people sometimes. And again, as you extend that beyond yourself, you can definitely think of people in your circles. Um, Lots of people in our culture think Jesus is a good man, which C.S. Lewis points out is the one thing he can't be. He can't be a good man. Uh, he, He... or just a good teacher, because he claimed, like he teaches well, but he claims to be God. And if those things are true, then he can't be a good man, he has to be God. Otherwise, he's a liar, he's lying, which means he's not a good man, or he's a lunatic, he's crazy, which are, interesting enough, the responses that people land on here. This guy's crazy, demon-possessed. This guy's deceiving people. Okay, but we can think of people who, who are amazed by Jesus but don't necessarily uh, respond to him beyond that. They're confused. Uh, they, they think, oh, maybe he's this, maybe he's that. They're all over the place. Now, here's the key text in the story, I think. Certainly the one I want to invite you to hear. Verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said, in a, stood up and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Now, I've just spent the last 10 minutes talking about these wild and wide responses to Jesus and the various people um, and how they're responding. Now ask yourself when Jesus says, he's standing up, the text is very clear, he's in the middle of the feast, in the middle of all of this, he stands up and says, let anyone. Who's the anyone he's referring to? It's those who tentatively believe in him and those who don't. Those who are amazed by him and those who are saying he's demon-possessed, right? Those who think he's the prophet or he is the Messiah, he's not the Messiah. 
even those who want to arrest and kill him are standing in the crowd, and Jesus invites them all. Let anyone in this crowd, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. The invitation of Jesus is wide open. There seem to be, at this point, no prerequisites to coming. The invitation is given to all. This is just a, another one of these examples of Jesus' like wide open mercy. This is, if you remember, if you were part of this community in the fall and tracked with us through our series of the Book of Judges, which I, um, up until that point, despised. I hated the Book of Judges. But one of the things that emerged out of that book for me is God's mercy again and again and again, and the story really degenerates in Judges. The people turn away from God and God continues to reach out to them and says, come to me, come to me, come. In the same way that Jesus um, is responding to all of these people's suspicions and doubts and fears and confusion and tentative belief, and he says, all of you, wherever you find yourself, whoever you are and wherever you are, you are invited to come. And Jesus says he will provide living water, which John gives us a helpful little note. Uh, By this, Jesus meant the Spirit. And we know from broader teaching on the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the Spirit of God is God's presence within us. Jesus inviting us to come to him to be in communion with God, to be in deep, intimate relationship. That's the invitation here. You are invited to come to Jesus to know and be in relationship with the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which is where we're going to pause this morning. Um, I'm going to invite the team. You guys can just sort of, the music team can come on back up. We're just going to take some time here. We're just going to pause because this is the invitation Jesus gives. And we're going to invite you to respond. And there's nothing, you don't, It's an invitation. It's invitational. There's no obligation to do anything here any more than it was in in the story. Some people responded this way. Some people responded that way. Jesus is invitational. And this is the invitation. It's just to hear that, to hear Jesus saying, come. If anyone here, anyone, anyone, any of you are thirsty, come to me. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons.